Hey, he's Jake, and I'm Matt. And welcome to Pat's Chat, the UK's best New England Patriots podcast. How's it going and welcome to another episode of Pat's Chat. It is myself, Matt, and I am joined by a very, very special guest. Um, this time, you may know him from his time in a long, long, illustrious coaching career, but you may have also seen him on the TV and probably even last night as of um, recording this with um, Hannah on the Overtime Show. It is, of course, Jeff Reinbold. How's it going, Jeff? Yeah, I'm doing great, Matthew. How are you? Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. Um, I was uh, the the song gets played here on the the radio for. It's the pronunciation Meli Kalikimaka. Is that how you say it? That's really good, man. That's good. Yeah, I try my best with my pronunciations because it's uh, something that's always been a a stickler of mine. I was one of the episodes early in the season, um, just before the season started. Actually, I was. Um, talking to Derek Gray, who's a Scottish commentator and who's done a lot of the Prime Video Thursday night football games. And yeah. he is 100%. He has to be on point with his pronunciations to the point that, you know, he'll double check with players around the teams and things. And um, if you ever see his Twitter, he's forever pulling up people for, you know, saying things wrong. It's I've, I enjoy it. It's good. <laughs> well, I better, I, I better stay away from him because last night... Uh, after we'd done the uh, the uh, overtime shows, I tweeted, which are really fun and I think really a good show. Um, I tweeted out that we'd done it, and I said a couple of NFL overdrive shows. And I'm I'm so blind I can't read I can't read what's on my <laughs> what I type into my thing. So sometimes the auto the auto uh, uh, cue or whatever that thing is auto auto spell or whatever it is on your mm-hmm. phone. It'll take the word and and it put in a different word than I want, but I can't tell what it is. Yeah. So I, I the the Sky people tweeted out overtime, Jeffrey, overtime. So. <laughs> it's it's one of those things. There's a, a guy I speak to. He's uh, based in New York. I speak to him on Facebook, and he's uh, I think he's late fifties ish. Um, because we've never actually met, just interactions through the groups and things. And but he uses the voice. Um, function quite a lot so he never types and I'm like what did you just reply to me because it'll punch in like words that means nothing in the context of what you're saying and then he goes oh I'm really sorry it's just like the 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 city thing or whatever kicked in and gave a totally different word altogether so yeah, I, I got that same issue, so I I, I understand, I understand. They, they, these things happen it's uh, it's all fun and games isn't it yeah so we could be here all morning, um, all day, all year, speaking about your um, coaching career. Um, but to touch on a couple of points, what, where do you think you've had the most fun? Was it over in Germany or is it what you've been doing up in Hamilton with the guys up there? Or uh, You know what? I, I think the, um, there are a couple of times that were really – first of all, I've had fun everywhere I've been. I, you know, Even on the bad teams I've been on, uh, I've always really enjoyed – the game and always enjoyed the interactions with the players. And, you know, that's the thing when, whether you're a player or whether you're a coach and when you transition from player to coach, it's still about the people. It's about the interactions. It's about after, after as many years as I've been in it, you kind of forget the scores after a while, but really you never forget the people. And Mm. so uh, NFL Europe was really an unbelievable experience. That was really, I really treasure that experience to have an opportunity to coach at the University of Hawaii was a big, big deal to me personally. Um, and then, you know, every place I've been, there's always been something about it that made it special. But I think those two are probably the two that are the most uh, that I look back on the fondest, I guess. Mm. And is it your time in NFL Europe that opened yourself up to the the UK game and um you know, the, the UK audience in general, or so what, what always attracted you to keep coming back and forth and make the effort with Sky and Neil and the guys and everyone else? 
Well, I think it's been a couple of things. You know, when you first, when I first came over here, which was when we re resurrected the league, I think it was 95, I can't even remember, four or five, somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, you, you got to know the local coaches and each team in NFL Europe had what they call a national coach. Tony Allen was the national coach in London. Uh, you know, Stevie McCusker did it in Scotland for a number of years. And when you got to know those guys, that was a direct link into the indigenous game because that's where they came from. And so, you know, whether, whether it was just by meeting coaches or going out and watching the team's practice or whatever, you really saw that everybody that was involved in football on the grassroots level in Europe at that time, it was just the absolute passion for them. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, uh, you know, something that they loved and it was a labor of love. And, and, you know, the fields didn't have lines on them. A lot of times the grass was up to their ankles. They didn't have enough equipment there. I mean, there were no sleds, there were no dummies, no cones, no, all the things that we as Americans took for granted, they didn't have. Hmm. And so I can remember at the end of the year, the Rhinefire players leaving their shoes behind for the kids in Germany to, to have a pair of cleats because some oh, kids wow. didn't even have cleats at that time. And, and it was just, it really touched me how, um, you know, how, how passionate they were, you know, they paid to play, you know, you couldn't get American kids to pay to play high school football if you tried. Hmm. And, and so I just thought that the, it was such a unique thing. And uh, they wanted to learn so much that the game was, you know, kids would, you know, whether it was here in London where a kid would take the train for an hour to go go practice for two hours. Uh, we'd go to Ireland. I remember going to Ireland one time. We did an open practice in, in uh, Dublin. And shoot, we had kids drive down from Belfast, from all over the island. They came for, for one two-hour practice. I mean, it was just, I, I just fell in love with them because they were so passionate about the game. And that's really what triggered the the desire to see the game grow. Yeah. You know, Neil and I laugh all the time because when when he first got started as an intern in the in the PR office with the league, the Monarchs were playing and they were playing at White Hart Lane. And and I remember going in there and I swear one time you could count everybody in the stands. And <laughs> then I it was such an incredible thrill to come back and see the Wembley games and the, how packed the stadium was and the environment that there was. I, I, the Wembley games to me are the second best environment in all of football next to the Super Bowl. The Wembley games are the most incredible environment, game day environment in, yeah. in football. It's really special. Yeah, it's a, it's a unique thing. I mean, I've never um, had the privilege to go to a Super Bowl unlike yourself, but it's I've been a few Wembley games, not as many as um, what I would like. And a funny story about that actually is – I think it was about 2012 um, was going to be my first one. It was Patriots Rams. And that was, I had the tickets and everything. I was due to go, I think it was October sort of time before, obviously before we get four games as we're almost, some people are getting accustomed to now. And in the April I'd gotten engaged to my now wife. So it was meant to be this whole thing of, you know, we're going to go, we're going to, like, me and the guys were going to go for a long weekend. I think we was looking at maybe going to West Ham game, all this kind of thing, like Friday to Monday, the whole whole jig. And then I ended up, I was like, I took a second thought and decided I couldn't spend almost probably, you're probably looking anywhere between 500 and a thousand pounds just for like three, four days with the lads. And so I ended up, I sold my tickets and regretted it ever since because the Patriots have never <laughs> been back over. <laughs> but I've had tickets every year practically. Um, and I've only managed to get to two games because I've just picked one game every year and through work or whatever it might have been, um, I've only managed to get to the two. But the two I have got to, I totally concur with what you're saying. So it's on a different level to any soccer game. I've been I've been Scottish Cup finals. I've been English Cup finals. It's just completely different. It's a happy-go-lucky atmosphere. People get in and around everything. You see Neil and Darren up on the stage. You get Darren and... Um, 
maybe like Sam or someone down the sidelines between plays and stuff like that. It's it opens your eyes up and um my wife's not a sports person at all. Like if I try and put it on the big TV in the living room, it's like get that off, you know, whatever. Um I'll go through the our spare room and watch um Red Zone and yourself and the guys on a Sunday. But I think taking her at a Wembley game might I think a lot of people it's you know it's what's that the the gate opener or whatever they call it, you know, it's that kind of yeah. stuff. I think she would totally, totally get it. Yeah, it's it's so incredible because you know I, I had no idea, and I remember the morning we we uh, the car drove us up to to do that uh, you know tailgate party thing that they had, and just all of a sudden as you got closer to Wembley, when you're about a couple miles away yet from the stadium, but you started to see people walking up down the street, you know, and they had their Patriots jersey on and the Rams jersey on and their Falcons jersey on and. And I thought, why? And then we got there and that just sea of people outside and how much everybody enjoyed. It was like a community thing. It was like, you know, everybody from around Europe had come and, mm. you know, because that was their one chance to see, uh, you know, a real live game. And the environment in the stadium was awesome. The production was tremendous. The games, you know, I, I was lucky we had good games and, and uh, it was just like, hard to believe to me that after you know banging around in white hart lane and and uh murray field and uh, you know dusseldorf rhine stadium and you know it was just here we are this is the real thing this is hmm. the big guys and you know it's all it's it's not a playoff game i mean it's excuse me not a preseason game it's this is a game that matters and and they're here and they're playing in front of us and that's an awesome deal yeah, it's it's something else, and you know, it's from that's why like I for being up here in Aberdeen, you've got you've kind of got to go for a weekend. You can't just it's not a day trip yeah. thing at all. Like I I think it's a it's probably a, a a gripe with a lot of things that surrounds the location and of the UK, depending on where you're from. Because you even I mean, if you step outside of the, the football world for a second and you look at like concerts and, and things like that, there's guys that'll be in Manchester an hour from Leeds or vice versa and go, Oh no, my favourite band, they're not playing in my town, they're playing a, across the road effectively. And you're like the closest place that generally bands will come to Aberdeen is Edinburgh and Glasgow, which is a two and a half hour train ride away. You're like, come on guys, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you've got to go for the weekend. And I mean, it's uh, anyone who's not been as skeptical about it or whatever, they just have to go because you've got, and you've got to go for, I, as I say, the weekend's amazing. Cause you go now that they've set up those bars um, around Trafalgar square and places like that, that you can go, you can meet ex players. If you're there at the right time, you've got the cheerleaders on the go, but even just in general out with those sort of fan events that they do just the day to day, you, you go in there and because people it's well advertised now, the, the hundreds, thousands of, of Americans that, you're, they're obviously missing the home game that they, their team are in or they want to experience an away game and they've made it. I, I talked to a couple, um, they were from around about the Massachusetts area. Uh, Patriots weren't playing, I think it was the Jags-Colts game three three years ago or so. And, you know, they go, oh, you're, you're, you're British. Well, yeah, I'm British, I'm Scottish. All oh, right, you've travelled down a few hours, yeah. You know, um, and they start chanting and instantly that sort of us and them becomes null and void because they're like, oh, you're actually really knowledge knowledgeable about the game and things. It's such a great thing to see. And they that couple had particularly they'd gone to South Africa, they were doing a bit of Europe and everything, tied the whole thing in like this three month round almost round the world trip. But it's just it's unbelievable. It's just brilliant. And and it's well, you hit it's, you hit on something really you hit on something really important, I think, is that uh almost every ex-player, player, ex-coach, coach, personnel. I, I don't care where, what their NFL connection is, even if they're a fan. When they come over here and they see the passion of the fans and they see the, in, the level of expertise that the fans have about the game, it shocks them. It, it truly shocks them. Mm -hmm. 
and I don't care, you know, like we've had Josh Norman, Emmanuel Sanders, Thomas Morstead, you know, Kyle Rudolph, Eric Hendricks. I mean, we've got all kinds of guys here and every single one of them to a man, when they get on the plane to go back home, you know, they just say, I can't believe how incredible the fans are here and how much they're, you know, the questions that we got were knowledgeable, you know, about the current, you know, I mean, it was like, they really thought that they come would come over here and that people wouldn't even know the rules of the game. And it's just shocks people when they see the level of interest and the level of expertise that's about around the game and guys like you who do podcasts, that's really, really important in the, in the whole process of growing the game. Yeah. It's, that's, I don't know if little old me would um, <laughs> agree with that, but I understand for what you're saying. Definitely. It's, I mean, it's just, it's something that has really grown in, in recent years, hasn't it? The whole podcast thing. And, you know, you've, you're not a, a man if you've not got a podcast almost to a certain extent, but it is, it's just, um, it's, I mean, myself and Jake who usually do it, we are, it's just an excuse for us. He stays down in Essex. Uh, I'm up here. It's just an excuse for us to talk football for an hour or two every week because some people are depend on if you're in the Western Isles or up in the Highlands or somewhere, you may not have someone that's, you know, your next door neighbor that that likes football the same as you then to the internet as well as and social media has just grown it humongously i think uh, in that terms as well you know we can all connect we can we're obviously in different locations right now and we're sitting having a chat about it and stuff it's um if you start thinking into it it just it can be a complete mind-blowing experience i think yeah, I agree with you. It's a, we have got a worldwide community, and that's the way I look at it. Like, we're all, you know, when I sit on my lanai and talk football with somebody in, like yourself in Scotland or somebody in Turkey, or you know, it just it, it blows me away to think that here we are and we're all connected over this game. And, you know, Matt, it's so cool because, like, oh, really everything in my life positive that I have or have done or, you know, in one shape, way, shape or form, they're directly related to football. They come because of football. I mean, I met my wife because, you know, I was in Hamilton and, and uh, that's where she was. And, you know, she wasn't a football fan per se, but if I hadn't been working in Hamilton, I would have never met her. And so, mm. Really, it's just an incredible, incredible game, and, and it's given me so much. And so any opportunity that you give, any opportunity you get to give back, I think, is really important. And that's why I think, like I say, what guys like you do, it's grow the game organically. Because it may be, like you said, somebody in Essex or somebody in the West Isles or somebody where, anywhere, it doesn't matter. You're connecting to another football fan, and you're talking about a game that you love, and that that passion is is infectious mm, i think especially over here and i guess generally everywhere apart from the states because as you were saying earlier the about the guys leaving the, their cleats for the kids and stuff we it's not a natural thing for us over here and it's getting there but it's still not natural that you know if you go to high school and you you're in PE class, you're generally you do rugby, you do football, you might do hockey or something. You know, even then for myself, like hockey or badminton or something was seen as a complete. You're doing what now? You know, here's the round ball, take it and kick it, and that's or or the rugby ball and you throw it. So it's not natural, but it's as I say, it's slowly getting there, and just to have the the internet and social media and things like this connecting everyone um, is obviously growing the game in the UK. And I guess it's something that helps you always come back. Do you think you would ever give up coming back and forth or? I hope I, I hope I never have to, because um, I really look forward to this time. This is like a, you know, Hawaii is always going to be home to me, but this is like a second home. I, I, I've learned my way around. I've learned the, you know, the customs and I've learned the, uh, to really appreciate and, and really love the UK. I, I, it's, it's a fabulous place. And even on, 
even like we are right now when we're in tier four, it's still, you know, when I go out and walk around, I, I, I just, sometimes I shake my head and think, wow, how lucky you are, you know? And, you know, you're talking about something that, that really, it was interesting how it's starting to be, uh, you know, you never see a kid, never, never, never would you see a kid just in the park with a football. I mean, mm-hmm. you just didn't see it. The other day I was walking in Ealing and these two kids come out of the little park there and they're probably, I don't know, 15 years old and they've got a, they've got a football, an American mm. football and they're, and they're kind of tossing it back and forth to each other. And, and they have been in the park playing. Yeah. And I thought to myself, man, that is a, that's a statement right there about how far we've come. Cause you would have never seen that before. No. No, definitely not. It's, as I say, it's growing and we, we know it's growing, but we hope it continues to grow. And things like, even things like the the overtime or overdrive show, as you might have tweeted out, <laughs> is <laughs> in the, the NFL channel in general that's on Sky Sports just now, like, it, it really, like, I just want to bash my head against a brick wall because you've still got the naysayers. You've got, oh, the coverage is crap. And, you know, um, oh, it's great when Jeff comes over, but generally speaking, you know, Neil's this and that, the next thing. I was like, I'm just not a subscriber to this at all. And um, in the Channel 5 coverage, oh, it's cheesy or whatever, where um, MJD sitting there and they're like doing whatever. And it's like, but yeah, but we've got it on like, Channel 5 is a non-subscription channel that it might be at one in the morning, but people can set their DVR boxes or sky boxes or whatever and record it and watch the following day. And it's all just adding up to something. I mean, they're, don't get me wrong, to like the BBC show that um, Jason and Osi do. Yeah, I would love it to be at, I don't know, eight o'clock on a Wednesday night or something like that after EastEnders is finished because it would get more eyes on it instead of midnight on a Saturday when generally people are either drunk or they're in bed. But, you yeah. know, it, I think people forget that we are still in the baby step stage and we, we're we not quite at the, the adult, you know, transformation as yet. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. How did you become a Patriots fan? Well, <laughs> the the... I'll try and keep this brief. Um, but basically, I've been a football fan for years and years. I can remember back when I had a, my mum and dad had a crappy old computer in the, the spare room that we used to sleep in. Um, 56k modem dial up. And uh, I remember, I don't remember the game, but I remember John Elway winning the Super Bowl for the, the Broncos. I remember Favre winning one for the Packers and it was just one of those things again it's baby like my minute steps of we used the only game we used to get over here was the Super Bowl and so I've watched it for years and then the coverage came in with um Kevin and Neil and the so something as stupid as I remember that used to be um Domino's that was the sponsor of the shows on a on a Sunday so it was like oh it's Domino's two for whatever try try and get you to sit and what eat pizza and watch the game sort of thing and all this um so anyway the I've watched it for years and then eventually it was about 10 years ago around uh, 10 11 years ago round about the first Super Bowl against the Giants um that we sadly lost obviously and it was just one of those things because i have a rare blood condition which means it reacts with the sunlight so generally i said i learned about going to mexico and things but um that's only in recent years that my wife's actually pushed me and goes no you can actually do these things well just be careful but you can actually go sunshine holidays rather than hiding in a dark hole like harry potter under the stairs and so uh I, want, I didn't want somewhere southern, so I ruled out Miami, New Orleans, California, but I didn't want any west coast because I knew the time difference would be stupid to try and stay up and watch games. So I went east coast and then worked my way up. I thought people pick the New York teams um, because I didn't even re- realize or recognize that they were, it was a Super Bowl year for them that year. And I just went, hmm, there, and, and ended up. <laughs> 
to pick in Boston and uh, the Patriots. Um, but it's funny because looking back, I was even now I'm still a huge Home Alone fan, and that something like that you'd think I would have ended up picking the Bears because Home Alone's based in Chicago, or um, in recent more recent years I've I watch a lot of. Um, the Chicago shows like Chicago PD, Chicago Med, that sort of thing. So again, you think yep. Chicago, or then you get the new um, Blue Bloods and that kind of show that's based in New York. I maybe pick that. I love country music these days, so maybe like Tennessee would have been the team. But no, I've through all of that, I've stuck Patriots. I picked my team, and that's it. End of. And I've lucked out because of the run we've been on in recent years until it's kind of came crashing down this year. <laughs> Well, you guys have been on a on, on I don't know if we'll ever, Matt. I'm serious. I, I do not know if we'll ever see another run like that. I, I just right now with the way the salary cap is and the structure with the draft and you know free agency and people don't. I don't think people really realize just how incredible that is. What they've done, how they've been able to do that, and I think this year may have been one of Belichick's best coaching jobs, even though they're not going to have a winning record, just looking at what he had to work with and what he put on the field every week. And I'm going to tell you something, that organization is amazing. Absolutely amazing because everything in the rules, everything in the approach that the NFL takes is for parity and they don't want a dominant team. And they've been a dominant team for almost 20 years. And that's that's phenomenal. It, it is crazy. It was something I was going to ask you about was there's a lot of hype around the, the Chiefs. And they're obviously in the infancy of what Patrick Mahomes can do. Do you, mm-hmm. do you subscribe to that they might be the new ones to pick up a dynasty? Or do you think that the, the parity will override it and you know that will maybe I, only last a couple of years? I think that that when you look at when you really examine the Patriots and there there's some phenomenal books out that about their experience, you know, that dynasty. I think that the Chiefs are maybe as close as you or certainly they're as close as we've seen in the last 20 years. And it all starts, number one, with the organization. And I had an opportunity to work in Kansas City for 2001 training camp. And so I can say with, you know, really a hand on heart that that organization from top to bottom is number one, good people. And um, they're very, very committed to doing things the right way. And they're very, very committed to continuity and that it's more it's run um i wouldn't say like a mom and pop store because that's not fair it's a it's a it's a billion dollar business right Hmm. but it's run in such a way where people appreciate going to work every day and that starts from the ownership and then you've got andy who's one of the best coaches in football he's always been and very innovative, uh, but a good person, right? Then you look at the front office and the front office and the coaching are right in lockstep. They understand what they want and how they want to build it and the kind of people they, uh, you know, and, and they'll take a, they'll take a chance on a guy that maybe like Tyreek Hill didn't come in. He got drafted late, not because he was at West Georgia. It was because of what happened to him when he was at Oklahoma state, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so they'll take, a risk with kids but <clears throat> I think what they've done is looked at New England and said okay how do you build it well in today's football you start with the quarterback and New England was fortunate enough to get a kid late in the draft and he turned in to be the greatest of all time Kansas City took a kid early in the draft and then nurtured him. And he's now showing that he may become the next of the great ones. Right. I mean, he's only been in the league three years. So yeah. to, for me to, to say he's at Tom Brady's level, I can't say that, but certainly, and they've locked him in for, I think 10 years. Yeah. His contract. And they, 
here's the similarity between Mahomes and Brady in my mind. Both of them are ultra competitive. They want to win. That's number one on their agenda, not throwing for 5,000 yards or 80 touchdowns or whatever. They want to win. And they were willing, just like Mahomes, I think, watched Brady closely. And what he saw was there was a guy that was willing to give up a little of his own so that he could have other players around it because he recognized it's a team game. That's exactly what Patrick did when he signed that 10-year deal. That allowed him to extend Kelsey. That allowed him to extend Hill. That allowed him to bring in other guys. Sammy Watkins stayed. You know, <clears throat> They've created an environment where guys want to stay because they know they've got a chance to get a ring. When you look at the Patriots, there were a number of guys that came to New England late in their careers because they wanted to be champions. And they knew that that was the place that you know Rodney Harrison – Randy Moss, on and on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. They knew that that's where they could go and become champions. Um, so I think there are some, some similarities between the two. But whether Kansas City will stand the test of time, that remains to be seen. And what Belichick and that organization have done. And think about it, Matt. He's lost coordinator after coordinator. He's lost assistant coach after assistant coach. They, you know, they, they've go back to Ty law when there've been guys that he's got out of there just at the right time. He always yeah. seemed to know when it was time to, to let a Willie McGinnis go or when it was time to let a Ty law go or when it was time. And that's incredible. I mean, that's incredible. So I don't know if that'll ever get done again. I think Kansas city has a chance to make a dent, but you're talking about, what, 18 years of winning the division or something like that? That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it is a, a, a feat that I think you're right. I, th I, I think the, at this present time, I would agree that the Chiefs are the set for actually being the ones to do it. But, you know, it's a different thing between thinking you can and actually doing it. And it's similar to in some respect to like soccer with, you know, you can be 12 points behind at the top of the league, but you've got five games in hand. So, you know, you win all five, you're three points clear and you win the league, but it's points on the board that matter and it's championships in the locker that matter. It's not what could be or what possibly can happen in years to come, you know, cause you don't know. It could be tomorrow that Tyreek Hill goes down, um, ACL or whatever it might be, um, you know, touch wood, that doesn't happen to the kid and and that's it. Then, you know, you draft it, you've got to rely on Hardman and Robinson and Watkins and they're, they're no slouches, but, you know, you've then not got that stretcher like Tyreek does so that your whole game plan changes, people can then scheme up on it and all of a sudden you're dead in the water. Well, and, and then on top of it, the more success you have, and I know this for a fact, the more in professional sports, the more success you have, the harder it is to continue that success because everybody and the, the noise outside now is so prevalent, right? Because it is the, one of the great things about the computer era is that everybody has access to the internet. Everybody has access to podcasts. Everybody has like, it's instant, con constant and instant all the time. Well, that kid, let's let's say Tyreek Hill, that kid is constantly getting bombarded with how much he's worth. You should get this much. Do you know the guy this over at, you know, let's say at the Chargers is, you know, at your position and you statistically you're better than him, but he's making more money than you. You're getting screwed by the organization. All that noise is mm. constant. And that really, really makes it hard. And Coach Vermeil told me this. He said, the hardest year you'll ever have in coaching is the year after you win a championship because everybody wants to take a bow and everybody wants to be rewarded and everybody thinks it's, or, or every agent thinks it's their client that, you know, was the reason you won. And so you need to pay him. And every talk show wants to have your, players on it and so the distractions become like almost 24 7 and how he has been able or how he was able 
to focus that team every year, refocus it every off season and rebuild it and tweak it here and tweak it there. And I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's really an incredible, incredible run. Yeah. And I was um, going to pick up on what you said as well about, you know, Belichick knew when to get players out the door and take them in depending on, you know, are they at the peak of their game or whatever it might be. But because it's for, for me anyway, and I think it's maybe being a fan or being based in the UK or whatever it is, but I always liken Belichick to Sir Alex Ferguson because there's very few times that he's managed that he's done it. Like he's written in his books. He said, you know, one or two players he should have, probably stayed but you know his rage or whatever because they'd pissed him off that much had got the better of him and goes not you're out the door but generally speaking he got it right almost 99% of the time with you know getting players in at the right time and nurturing players and bringing them up through the academy and going right no actually you're over you know you might you might think you're 25 and you're just hitting your peak but I can from my experience I know that you're done so you're being shipped out somewhere else and again, the whole success thing is almost like a mirror image as well. That you know, as you say, the the more success you get, the harder it is to recreate every year. And they've had to morph and change and do this and do that to to keep it up. And so I always liken the the two of them um, quite similar similarly, even though it's different sports. Yeah, I think I I don't know Sir Alex Ferguson, but I, I I've heard. St- heard stories of him and actually Tony Allen had an opportunity to go sit with him for a couple hours once and talk about coaching and you know coaching is is people it's managing people it's understanding people it's motivating it's it's creating an environment where everybody can feel good about their contribution I mean it's so much more than just the x's and o's because anybody can get on the internet and learn the game but it's your ability to handle human beings and to lead that's so incredible. And, um, you know, one of the really fun experiences I've had was to meet Eddie Jones at Sky and have a chance to spend a couple hours just talking about him building the, the uh, English rugby team mm-hmm. and coming from a different environment where the game was played different, you know, than what he was, what he encountered when he first came here and how he had to try and change the culture of, you know, the English rugby team. And, and that's what coaching is. I mean, it's regardless of the sport, that's what you do. That's what you're trying to do. So do you think more so now than then, or is it just the same, but it's a different sort of landscape because of social media and stuff. Do you think that coaching is more, people management as such more than I I think I think yeah when you get to when you get to the professional level for certain the x and o part I won't say it's less important it's not less important but everybody is good at that when you get to that level there are no bad structural coaches now there are design flaws and all that other stuff but that you know again uh that's not the difference between winning and losing. The difference between winning and losing is number one, the most talented teams always have the best chance to win. Doesn't mean they'll always win, but they have the best chance to win. Then two, it's what kind of environment is created inside that, the walls of that team. So for example, when you look at the Patriots, when they were really good, really good, they had good players. Now, but they also had a number of players who were guys who might not have fit other places, but they were exactly what the Patriots wanted Mm -hmm. and they fit what Belichick wanted out of that guy. So for example, when you, when you look at a guy like Teddy Bruschi who played as a defensive lineman at Arizona and they said he would never transition to be a linebacker because he wasn't fast enough and he wasn't agile enough and he hadn't, hadn't played line, all that stuff, right? But they saw in a guy with a real high football IQ, a real high, what, what I use as a gas factor, that means give a shit. He's a real high give a shit factor. 
And he, he, he really, really, really football was something that he loved. Right. So you take all three of those and then you put it in a package that maybe the 40 times not good enough, or he doesn't project the, you know, he doesn't have the, the numbers. They didn't, they didn't look for numbers. They looked for people and guys that were, you know, Brady's another example. I mean, he, he could, he was a part-time starter at Michigan, but he's highly intelligent, had enough athletic ability, not great, but he had enough athletic ability and he was going to work and do whatever it took to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so when you get, when you combine those guys, those kind of guys with extremely talented players and enough role players behind it, then you blend a perfect team. It's not, it's not collecting football cards. I'm just telling you, it's not you. And right now, when you look at Tampa Bay, that's one of the things that you see, mm-hmm. you got, I mean, how can you say that that's not the best next to the chiefs, maybe the best offensive roster in football. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, you know, Cameron Brait. I mean, he's a great tight end. He's their third tight end. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you realize when you look at it and say, okay, but Tom only has one ball to throw, right? He doesn't have eight balls, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they all want to get the ball. And so, there have to be enough Julian Edelman's. There have to be enough Danny Amendola's. There have to be enough Matthew Slater's. There have to be enough Kyle Van Noy's. Guys that other teams maybe don't want even. Like Van Noy got thrown away in Detroit. They said he couldn't play. Yeah. Well, look, he's still, and he's still playing extremely well. But he fit what they wanted. Big guy. Van Noy is nothing more than... Um, I, I you look at their linebackers, how their linebackers have been. McGinnis, big, right? Long, big, almost like an end. Um, Mike Vrabel, same story. Kyle Van Noy, same story, right? They fit the what the Patriots want. Other teams may not have wanted them, but the Patriots saw what they could bring to the to the team, and then they used them in the proper way. That's the other thing that he does better than anybody in football. Still, I think Andy Reid's the only guy that's close is that whatever your player can do well, they're going to do. And whatever he can't do well, he's going to try and mitigate that liability as much as possible. He won't ask him to do something he can't do. Like you look at how their offense has changed and I know they're not scoring points, but that's the only way, that's the only chance they got with Cam Newton at quarterback mm-hmm. and the receivers that they got. So to, to, to think that they are, you know, close to 500 with that, their, their talent level right now at receiver is maybe as bad as there is in the league, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that, but that's, that's, he, that's what he's got. And so he does the best he can to, to, you know, mitigate the liabilities because if you can criticize them anywhere, it's probably in the draft. And, you know, they've missed at, at that position way too many times. And that's that I would be interested to sit down and talk to him about why he thinks that is that they've been so deficient in being able to draft receivers. Yeah, I think it's was it two out of the last 10 years that have actually been any good and stuck around the league for more than five minutes. I think it was something I saw the other week. Um, it's. It is something that's a, a conundrum that might never be fixed, unfortunately. But it's what you were saying there. I've spoken to other um, analysts and people in the game about it. Is the actual the playbook and the strengths and the weaknesses of, especially of Cam Newton at the moment? And yeah, we're not scoring points, and there's a lot of sort of weight resting on his shoulders and stuff. But what, as far as I can tell, is that they need to change things in, in terms of the actual playbook and what they're doing with him because they're it's almost as though they've McDaniels is still using the Brady playbook, who the pocket passer guy, but it's like this guy's got legs. This guy's got more rushing touchdowns this year than he's got throwing touchdowns. He's one of the best rushers in the team, even though he's the quarterback. Um and then you look at at Mahomes and Kansas City or at Baltimore and they've gone right, we've got this guy 
we don't have a Joe Flacco anymore. We've got Jackson. So this is the playbook and these are the plays we're going to run. I think that's what you might see next year. Um, if given if he, if he stays and they get him on a deal and you give him the off season and all the rest of it to, to I, I, I don't, I, when I watch him, this is my own opinion, right? And I, I, I think he's done. I, I don't see when you compare what you see on tape to what you saw on tape when he was in Carolina, he's not the same kid anymore. And that happens sometimes because he's been hit so much mm. and he's been hurt a bunch. And, you know, um, and even when he gets out of the pocket, he runs around, he doesn't run like he used to run. Um, so I, the thing that's surprising to me, and I'm on, it's interesting. I want to get your take on this. You've got Stidham, right? And you're out of the playoffs. You've got two games left. Stidham has come to you and he missed an entire preseason and four preseason games this year. Would you not play him these last two so that you can really see what he is, whether he's got a chance to be good enough? Because you're going to have to make a decision about quarterback, whether you say you're going to bring Cam back, you're not going to bring Cam back, you're going to draft one, you're not going to draft one, you're going to go one after one in free agency, but it's the most important play position in football. And apparently they like, they like Stidham enough, I guess, to, to keep him around. So you better find out if he can play or not. It's, it's a really weird one because for all intents and purposes, until Cam walked in the building, he was the starting quarterback. So they must have liked him enough to not put Hoyer at number one or go and try and get someone else earlier in the, in the off season, like Dalton or, um, someone else like that, or you know, there's, there's even the 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 long shot odds of um, possibly even testing out um, Kaepernick at one stage that was doing the rounds. So they've kept, as you say, they've kept him around. He's been there all year. He's another that's two years under the stewardship of Belichick and the coaches. You've got two games left. Season's over. You might as well throw him in. My only sticking point is why have they not done it before now if he's that good then you know sure and Cam is on screen at least he's played that badly why have they not thrown him in before now um is it even worth going to be throwing him in because in the back of their mind they probably think right we're moving on from him anyway and the other thing that gets me is it's two divisional games left and I don't want to lose to divisional rivals (laughs) Well, I think there's a lot. There's probably a bunch of that. Number one, they want to win, right? I mean, even if I think he's so competitive, I think he wants to win. If you were playing checkers, he'd want to beat you, right? The the interesting thing though about Stidham is if you're going, if you're not going to keep him, unless you're just going to flat release him, which I don't know if they would do, and you want to trade him, the way to get his trade value up is to play him and let yeah. him have a little success. This is the thing, isn't it? <laughs> So I don't know, you know, again, it's an interesting one to me. And I would love to get, I would love to be sitting in the coaches meeting and listen to what his, you know, what his position on it is and why he feels like that. But, you know, I'm certainly not going to criticize him because he's the greatest coach that ever coached the game. And I Mm. take Vince Lombardi and Don Shula and all of them. And, and it's, they're not close in my mind. So, um, but I think it's a really interesting phenomenon right now and where they're at and what they're going to do, how this offseason is going to unfold. There may not be a more interesting offseason than watching what the Patriots do because yeah. it'll, he's not going to sit by idly and, you know, <clears throat> not, not trying to improve his football team. Then the other thing you got to remember is, what was it? Six guys that opted out of the season before the season eight even it was, started. Yeah, yeah, it was eight. eight of them and- so those guys are going to be back. They'll be yeah. better because of that. Now, how much better they're going to get because of free agency and the draft and all that, we'll, we'll see. But mm. I know, I know they're not going to they're not going to accept second place. Buffalo and Miami don't think they they all of a sudden run the division because no. New England's not going to go away quietly. No, definitely not, and. Um, you mentioned earlier about um, Matt Slater. He's just been um, voted in his ninth um, Pro Bowl. 
you're a, it would be remiss of me to get you on without speaking special teams to you. Um, mm-hmm. What is it about special teams that you love so much and what like others are begin like myself are beginning to appreciate a lot more is it because sometimes you know if it's a kick return you've got oh well it's a touch back and you don't see a lot but if it's a punt return like the other week you had Gunnar Oshevsky run for a 75 yard touchdown and that's exciting but there's all the bits in between like the block punt and someone like Slater who's so good at being that gunner and we even saw it at the weekend against Miami that he managed to stop the ball going into the end zone at I think it was a one or two yard line. What is it that is so fascinating about it? To me, it's the essence of the game, right? I know that, you know, the, if, if you're just a casual fan, you're going to follow the ball, right? And, shoot there's even serious fans that that's all they do is follow the ball and you know they all that all that the talking heads are going to talk about is the quarterback and you know but when you know the game when you learn the game and really appreciate the game special teams is the is like the foundational piece of the game because even with the rules changes today where the kickoff has become uh, de-emphasized, but that's an, I could, I could go on for an hour on that one, but, um, uh, the thing that you see is the teams that play great special teams understand what we call, um, complimentary football. And so what complimentary football is that there's a transition always of the game, right? When the ball moves from this team to this team, right? In most other sports, it's a very fluid situation. You know, when they take possession of the ball in soccer, when they take possession of the ball in rugby, basketball, they're all the same. It moves all the time. Football is the only sport that I can think of that has a specific unit that's responsible for transitioning the ball either to another team or gaining the ball for themselves. And the the football at its essence is a positional game. It's a field position game. So if I can create a long field for you to go, Mm -hmm. strategically, I'm I'm at an advantage. If I can create a shorter field for my offense to go to score, then I'm creating an advantage for my team. So that battle that goes on on the 30 special teams plays that there are in a game, is critical to the overall end game, right? And so the other day, the Chiefs played um, Miami, I think it was, or I think it was Miami. And it was a six-point game or five-point game or something like that. And the difference in the game was McCole Hardman's punt return. That's right. Yeah. And nobody, no, but not one single person even mentioned it. Right. That's how, that's how little most pundits know about football. Right. Mm. That was the play that changed the game. Yep. The other night, what was the difference in Kansas city and the saints? There's a ball on the, there's a punt return. Robinson loses the ball. That's right. Yeah. That's... On the it's on the ground in the end zone. And all Eric Anzalone has to do is recover the ball. Yeah. And they, they get a touchdown. And what was the difference in, between the two teams? Five points. Yeah. There's your game right there. Yeah. So while a lot of people don't while the average fan doesn't appreciate it for what it is, it is the foundational piece of the game. And the other part that I love about it is the guys that you typically work with, the, the, they're, okay, I say it this way. I've done this for 35 years in pro football. I have never once seen a guy's football card that says right guard on the punt team, L5 on the kickoff team. It says linebacker, tight end, <laughs> whatever, right? Yeah. Nobody comes to the NFL to be, uh, the gunner on the punt. Matthew Stafford, Matthew Slater, excuse me, came to be a receiver. Yeah. Right. But he found his role on special teams yeah. and he, and he's taken, embraced it 
and it's and he's created a career for himself as that guy. So to to be a part of that experience where they come to you and some of them have may have never played special teams because they were the stars in their colleges, right? And then they come to you and all of a sudden they're a backup linebacker and their role is going to be to be the guard on the punt team and be on the kickoff team and you know and you have to you have to find a way to Im- to impress upon that athlete how important that role that they have is that that to me is really fun mm. the, the the psychological aspect of creating a unit right because the best teams on special teams always have tremendous unit pride and it's become it becomes a it and becomes a instead of a disgrace to play on the special teams it becomes a badge of honor to play on the special team yeah and that part that part i really really enjoy yeah it's it's so true it totally resonates with me what you're saying there jeff and i mean we've had the likes of nate ebner uh justin bethel and matt slater's there just now is it something that maybe part of the dynasty that has set Belichick apart from the rest because he's always been one that focuses on special teams seemingly more than others. Do you think that is something that's um, been part no of I mean, Jake Bailey's just been voted into pro ball as well because he, he is one of the best punters in the league at the moment. He's, and as you say, that's total transition from one end to the other. And But obviously with the punter, they don't want to just kick it out the back, the back of the end zone. He's trying to keep it on as close to the goal line as possible. Do you think that's part they're of the, the best. They're the best. They've always been the best in football at it. Go back to Larry Izzo. I mean, there's a guy that couldn't play any place else, but on special teams. But he, he was a great special teams player. They, I can't remember. It was a couple of years ago. Um, they were playing somebody in the playoffs and they scored real late in the game to go ahead by about four, I think it was. And they're getting ready to kick off. And I turned to Neil and I said, watch this. They're going to kick this ball as high as they can. It's going to land on the two yard line, right? Instead of kicking it in the end zone and for the, for the touchback, they were so, they are so well coached that that's exactly what the guy did because they wanted the returner to field it and use time, use seconds mm-hmm. in the return. That's how detailed their coaching is. Yeah. And so what happened, the guy caught the ball. I think he ran, ran it to like the 18 and he used six seconds on the clock and they had two plays left. Well, that six seconds was at least another play, maybe two plays. If you throw it out, you know, take the snap and throw it out, catch an out route, right? Yeah. But that's that's how you that's how you win games, yeah. right? And if, but fans, the, and again, same thing. None of the pundits even paid attention to it, but it was it was genius coaching. Mm. I mean, even down to always fancying a a, a left footed um, punter rather than a right footed punter, and always I I see. Um, the Patriots, obviously, because I watch them more than others, that they they always go for like the left or right corner. So then you know that everyone's filtering down that. So if if he wants to go and punt return it, then you know you've done an amazing job because you've somehow got through that traffic. It's all been down that one side of the field, whereas they're trying to filter them out to the the outside, get them out of bounds at the fifteen or whatever it might be. And even little things like that, I've um come to enjoy yeah, let me tell you something. more i'll tell you a story i have a i have a kid i had a kid that was my long snapper at hawaii that was drafted by the patriots and was a patriot long snapper and they were so thorough that one day a week every week belichick would have uh they they have a bag of footballs the kicking balls they're called k balls right that he would have the equipment guy take half the K balls and he had a big like barrel and he'd fill it with water and he'd put the K balls in the water and soak them overnight. And then the next day, the only balls that he would have let Jake snap, Jake Ingram was the kid's name. The only balls he'd let Jake snap to the punters and the, and the holders were the, were the balls that were soaking wet because he wanted to make sure that if, it rained that day 
right, or on, on game day, that they would be used to handling wet footballs. That's the detail wow. that Belichick goes to. As a matter of fact, he would, Belichick, when he said, what Jake told me when he was a rookie, Belichick would walk by him sometimes. He'd be snapping, you know, working with the punters that just dry, what we call dry snapping. He'd be snapping to the punter and the punter would be kicking. Belichick would walk by with a, with a water bottle and he just walk past Jake and then spray <laughs> the ball with water as Jake had his hands on it. Just to, just to mess with him, just to, you know, about how it's got to feel coming off your hand when your hands are wet. You know, he's different now. That's mad. That's crazy. Um, I have, uh, I appreciate your your time this morning, Jeff. And I know we're um we're coming to the end of it now, so don't worry too much. Um, but just before you go, a bit of fun. I was want to um talk to you about the the Raiders, which is your team, and uh, more importantly, Leeds, because that's one of my team's biggest <laughs> rivals. Um, how did that come about? How what made you choose? Um, leads as, well, as the team. Okay. When I came here in 94 or five, I can't even remember what it was, but um, I, I remember, uh, you know, how you, when you travel, you go to the hotel and, you know, you throw your bag on the bed and, you know, da da da, and you always flip, flick on the TV. At least I do. Right. Yeah. And it just so happened that I flicked on the TV and there was a soccer game on TV. And this was here in London and I don't know anything about soccer. All I knew was that if it, if you kicked it in their net, that was good. And if they kicked it in your net, it ain't good. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's all I knew. So I'm watching this soccer game, just kind of watching athletes. Cause you know, you, you like to watch guys compete. So I'm watching these athletes and the game's going back and forth and the commentators and the people are saying, and then it's like, I thought that's a pretty cool environment. And then all of a sudden this, the team, had white beautiful white uniforms like uniforms matter to me right so they had these long sleeve white uniforms white socks and uh the the team in the white knocks down one of the players from the other team like they're going after a header or something they all you know they bang into each other right yeah and then while the guy's down the guy one of the guys on the white team is kind of half running by him and he knees him in the back of the head right it gives him a cheap shot and the and the the commentator sees it and they run it back and the guy goes oh that's that dirty leads right and i thought <laughs> that's my team that is my team fair enough that's uh that's uh quite an and different way of getting involved uh, with a team for sure um, so, but at that point they were i think this, they were pretty good back then right and they were still yeah. in the premiership. And then, you know, they had a couple of financial things that they didn't handle very good. And, you know, and then they were in, got into the, into the championship and like forever, we couldn't get promoted and couldn't get promoted and couldn't get promoted. Last year, I went to watch them play at Fulham. And that was like a religious experience to me that would to be sit with those fans yeah. and sing, march on together. And, you know, we all love Leeds, and I, I I wanted to go this year. I'm really disappointed. The biggest reason I'm disappointed because of COVID is I wanted to go see a game in Ellen Road, mm. and that would have been that would have been the best. Yeah, I, I can imagine because I remember um, I've only managed to see them once. We was playing at Old Trafford. Uh, that's about ten years ago now. They were down in League one at the time like two two leagues below the the premiership and they actually won that day which uh made me feel a bit sick but it was third round fa cup but it was like middle of january whatever it was and you know they weren't expected at all they were heavy favorites to lose and but they ended up winning one nil um, but they've always been a, a big rival because myself and jake were both man united fans so i remember oh, you you guys pasted us the other day. We yeah, that was a, that was fun on Sunday before sitting down. Well, I actually, it, I think it went 6-1 and the Patriots were just kicking off at 6. So I was like, right, I, the, the game's over. It's done. So I switched over. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't watch the last five, 10 minutes of the game. I missed the, I missed the, the second Leeds goal because I'd swapped over to watch the Patriots instead. Well, we'll get you back. We'll get you back. Don't you worry. 
Yeah, definitely. And um, final thing, Jeff, what what are you? You said earlier you're away from your wife for Christmas. Are you are, mm-hmm. are you getting to sit down with Neil and George and the the family, or what? You up no, to? not not because of this because of this tier four thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be my what's going to happen. My wife and I are going to cook a meal together by Facetime. So okay, <laughs> so we'll have a we'll have a virtual Christmas. Tell me that's not two, 2020. Yeah, th- I think that's the epitome of what's going on this uh, this year. And if you if you didn't know, um, I only read it this morning that apparently um, Zoom are opening up. You know how it's meant to be limited to forty minutes if you're over three people or whatever. They're opening it up between ten a.m. Eastern up until I think it's some time on Boxing Day. Um, from today, ten a.m. Eastern on the twenty third up until midnight on Boxing Day, that it's going to be free. As- get as many people onto zoom as possible and you don't have to pay for it or anything and they're doing the same at new year as well so if you've got family and stuff you want to do that virtually with then you know you'll know you don't have to pay for it well i appreciate that that's good news and i appreciate you having me on this morning it's been a lot of fun and that was the wonderful jeff reinbold you can find him on twitter at jeff underscore reinbold j-e-f-f underscore r-e-i-n-e-b-o-l-d you can, of course, as you said there during that chat, you can find him on Sky Sports most Sundays, I think every Sunday from now until the Super Bowl's over. You can find him on the Overtime Show with Hannah um, and Denzel on there as well. Um, if you don't have Sky Sports and you can't watch it, you can also check out his Twitter because he's always got hashtag coffee with coach on. He does that through Twitter and Periscope. And I think he's also on with the Shank Club boys on Boxing Day in the afternoon. They do a live show every Saturday afternoon going through things, um, all things NFL considered. So that's it, folks. That's your special Christmas episode done and dusted. Um for now unfortunately but just before we go just the usual um housekeeping rate review and subscribe tell all your friends tell your mates friends and mates are the same thing tell your family tell your dog whoever get them uh, get on apple podcast itunes whatever it's called these days any good podcatcher app search for pat's chat uk spotify is also a good one you'll find us on there search pat's chat and um, but if you want to interact with us on twitter it's at Pat's Chat UK and on Instagram it's also at Pat's Chat UK. If you want to chat to myself, it's at Matt Tinkster. And if you want to chat to Jake when he's in around the Twitter sphere, it's at Jake Paul Design. And that's it, folks. Um once again, hopefully you're listening to this on Christmas Day. Um, so have a good one. If not, I hope you've had a merry one. Hope it's been jolly and Santa's been good to you all things considered this year and stay safe, stay well, wash your hands, masks, etc. And hopefully the tiered system that's come into force uh, across the UK isn't treating you too harshly. But if you ever need anything, come chat to us. Uh, we'll keep it lighthearted and, you know, a bit of fun. Put a smile on your face, but if no, if you want to chat something more then feel free to dm us as well not a problem at all okay folks have a good one until next time folks we'll speak soon